This episode of We're Getting a Dog contains descriptions of violence towards pets and other animals that some listeners may find offensive. In order to keep our podcast historically and factually accurate, we have chosen to include these descriptions to provide a better understanding of the breed that we're presenting. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, everybody. How's Hello. it going? How are you all? Hope you're having a good week. It's a beautiful spring day in Chicago today. Yeah, yeah it's been great out this week. Oh, yeah. It's like climbing up to 80 degrees, I think. Yeah. Now. Welcome to We're Getting a Weather Report. <laughs> no, it's nice because it means that we're coming out of our, you know, metallic gray slate winter that we get here in the Windy City every year. It's always a big celebration. Oh, yeah. It's so the, great to not know. have sunlight for an almost six months. <laughs> and now it's added that, you know, people are starting to get vaccines. So. Yeah, I'm I'm now gotten my first vaccine. Yeah, I think that uh, had happened by last episode. this week. Yay. Yay. And then I'm getting my second one in a couple weeks, yeah. which is awesome. Hope all of you out there are able, if you are able to get vaccines, you go get your vaccine. It's like the only way this world is going to reopen and we can go look at more dogs for free. That's what Dr. Fauci told me. Yep. Anyways, speaking of looking at dogs, today's dog is a very storied breed. Today we're covering the Bulldog. Wow. The Bulldog Ladles and Jelly Spoons. (laughs) This breed is a whopper of a history breed of a health breed whopper in america means to burgers it's a different as bulldog it's a dirty word somewhere in the uk or ireland i (laughs) I was just thinking the burger it's just as important as the whopper i don't like the whopper i like a big mac it's i don't like it either but you know it's influential the bulldog is the big mac of a lot of dogs but i mean it's just because big mac's a little more modern Bulldogs probably have one of the most intense known histories among other dog breeds. And a lot of the dogs that come from Bulldogs are some of the most popular breeds around mm, today. Right. So they've definitely had a huge hand in influencing the dog kingdom. But that being said, there is some way. violence in this episode. So if you're a little faint of heart about dogs getting hurt, this may uh, not be the episode for you. Oh, Warning. But I am going to start us off tame with a breed description. So uh, the bulldog, according to the AKC, is medium in size and smooth coated. Uh, They have heavy, thick set and uh, I'm sorry. They have a heavy, thick set and low swung body, a massive short faced head, wide shoulders and stout, sturdy limbs. Um, I do have some photos here for you, Dylan, as well. And I'll post these in the description for you all listening. Um, of various bulldogs. Um, so yeah, this first one is just, it's the AKC photo. So it's just a bulldog Uh looking off in the distance being so cute. Yeah. And then there's (laughs) some other ones too. Just, you know, standard bulldog photos, mopey bulldog, very big heads, huge heads, big, yeah, everything. Very wide, uh, very wide, very muscular. It looks like from the outset. Yeah, but I know they're still kind of like short and yeah, medium sized. Yes. They're very compact. Right. Um, well, speaking of compact, uh, I did write down there have been attempts to miniaturize the bulldog, but no popular outcomes have ever really happened. Um, it is speculated, though, that these now extinct versions of the mini bulldog may have had a hand in shaping the French bulldog. I was about to say, what about no, French bulldog? French bulldogs are kind of the miniature bulldog now, but there was an Boston attempt Terriers, to make French. Yeah. To make like this particular bulldog look small and it didn't really work out. Um, As far as weight goes, it's 50 pounds for a a male and 40 for a female. Um, The probably the most important part of their description is their skull. So uh, uh, this is according to one of the um, books I had about this breed. And it said that the circumference of the dog's skull in front of their ears. So if you take a tape measure and go from like just in front of their ears and measure their face around, like facing you, that That sounds hard. That should measure at least the same as the dog's height. So 
how big their face is around should be the same as how tall they are. So it's got to be mascot head style. Yes. Huge head. Kind of. A little bit. Yeah. Um, Their eyes are also set very symmetrically and they should line up at a 90 degree angle to the structure of the dog's face at the end of the eye. Um, Blue or green eyes disqualifies a bulldog from the standard. Well, I'll still love it. <laughs> Their face is extremely is extremely flat and should slightly curve upward. Mm-hmm. Uh, the bulldog is famous for its underbite, large facial wrinkles. Wrinkles, wow. The bulldog is famous for its underbite, large facial wrinkles, and oh. its turned up flat nose. Right, of course. Uh, their lower jaw should make an upside down U shape at the mouth. So, kind of like if when you see its frown, it should make a little U. Not a V. That's just, that was part of the written standard. I thought that was an interesting little unique tidbit for mm. how they should look. Weird. They have very short, thick, deep, strong necks. <laughs> deep, strong I love necks. how the A's, the AKC loads everything with adjectives. It's like, what are all of, it's like someone has the best thesaurus. How much can this dog's neck lift? Exactly. <laughs> how is it? How strong is it? Their body is described as pear-like, so it means it's quite wide, well-rounded, oh, and very shape. deep at its lowest like point me. in the chest. What? Pear-shaped, just like me. I don't think you're pear-shaped. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I, you're you're I, not pear-shaped. I got the hips. I suppose. <laughs> Their back should make an arch, which is also called a wheel back. Uh, it's arch. This kind of back is very specific to the bulldog. Like the skeletal structure is very specific to the bulldog. Mm. So when you see a bulldog from the side in a profile, their back should almost look like a wheel could fit in it. What? Yeah. Like Wait, it should go kind of like, like uh, along the spine. Okay. On top. Yes. Oh. So it should look like a broad wheel could kind of fit in and kind of like match the curvature of their spine. And then you could turn it upside down. And, the, and roll it around? No. <laughs> no, but that's what it looks like. I guess. That's just how it was, just was described on huh. several like sources and YouTube videos. So. Interesting. Another atypical quality of the bulldog is that their hind legs are actually taller than their front legs. So it elevates their back end a little bit from their shoulders. And it's thought that this probably developed during the bull baiting period when it would always kind of like sit low to the ground to leap at a bull. Oh. Um, it's not, there's not really a lot of sources I could find that say why they're built this way, but that's just kind of the speculation and all that, that just sort of the position they were stuck in, the kind of musculature they had to use through selective breeding after a while ended up making their leg their hind legs a little bit taller is that bad for walking it can cause lots of problems we'll get to like the amount of joint health issues that right. these dogs i was wondering have. if the size of the head was also a big contributor to long-term problems i don't think that's a contributor to the problems oh, no. i didn't read anything about that okay so their coat is short straight flat close fine textured smooth and glossy nice uh, their skin should be kind of soft, or actually kind of soft, should be soft and kind of loose. Um, they have what's called a dewlap, which are these two parallel skin folds that run from kind of the bottom of the throat down to the chest. Oh. They're kind of like little folds that make like yeah, a I little crevice, almost like a cleavage line for your dog. Um, that is part of their standard. There's literally no like other way to line. describe it. <laughs> Is that what the standard says? <laughs> no, I, that's my own pair. That's my own <laughs> way of describing. Okay, not, that's my own colorful description. It doesn't exactly look like that. <laughs> um, next, I have a whole bunch all. of links for you, Dylan, and listeners, if you go into the description of the colorings. So their fur color should be uniform in pattern and brilliant in hue. Um, they have a lot of officially recognized colors and patterns. So their officially recognized colors are red, white, and blue fawn oh. fallow which is a new color on this show fallow is kind know. of a yellow like a dark yellowy brown a little bit um not golden brown more yellowy Aww. or any combination of those colors and their patterns and their marking patterns that are accepted are brindle which we've talked about it's kind of the stripy mm-hmm. one piebald which is irregular patches of two different colors but in bulldogs, the base color of their fur has to be black in order for that to be accepted on the standard. 
There's also ticking patterns, which is small little flecks of color, almost kind of like flecks of color on an egg, I like to think of. They can also have a black mask, that's acceptable, and then black tipped fur. So that means that like the tea, like the tippy tops of their fur has a little bit of black on it. Oh, right, yeah. So it's that. sort of like hue kind of like ombres them a little bit in, oh, the, yeah. in the pictures. Any other colors or markings, including merle, are disqualifications from the standard. So those are the only accepted things. But that's a pretty wide variety for a dog, I think. Yeah. There's an interesting other fact. There's lots of interesting facts in this show today, y'all. So get ready. <laughs> um, one of the most common dog colorings, which is black and tan, is notably absent among the acceptable color combos of the bulldog. What? The specific reason comes from the breed's history after the banning of bull baiting in England. Many bulldogs were crossed with black and tan terriers during this time, which was the 1830s and 40s. And then early fanciers of the purebred bulldog viewed a black and tan bulldog as having, quote, too much terrier in them. Really? Yes. So that's the reason why that is not an accepted color combo. And you can buy, I mean, I'm sure you could find a somewhat black and tan bulldog if you if you crossed it with a terrier but yeah no hmm. that's not an acceptable color there's gonna be tons of other black and tan dogs though i know <laughs> the book made a mention of how that color specifically is not accepted and i was like yeah. oh i would have never even thought unless it said something but i think that is really interesting yeah uh in movement the bulldog carries itself loosely vigorously and with a distinct roll in their joints skin's pretty loosely the roll <laughs> many rolls <laughs> no i mean like the way their joints move they don't move like yeah. straight they move kind of on a roll i see yeah so they have to kind of like trudge themselves around because what their back half is higher or... back half is higher and their front half is heavier so yeah like a wheelbarrow kind of yeah <laughs> um a temperament note they're equally kind resolute and courageous the bulldog is not vicious or aggressive in nature and that's an important thing to remember about the bulldog because there's lots of terrible media depiction of bulldog and bulldog mm -hmm. types as vicious and aggressive. Yeah. But the bulldog is really actually a kind of a stubborn, lazy dog, as we'll find out. Mm -hmm. Their general demeanor should be pacified, which I actually found really surprising that they use the word pacified. pacified. Like give them a pacifier? No, just kind of like <laughs> passive. Like they don't really care. Okay. It's just like they're not going to do anything. Um, and also dignified, which I liked. Oh. Uh, their emotion... Their emotions and personality traits should be readable and accentuated by their both their behavior and facial expression. Facial expression. Yeah, so they can kind of make like a face to impart what they are feeling with you, to you. And it's there's lots of owners that have talked about this, and I think you kind of have to have a bulldog to experience it. Um, Look, he's smiling. It's just a blank face. <laughs> uh, the last part of this breed's description, of course, is always the bark. And I do have a video for you to uh, for the bark. You do have to skip to 45 seconds in on the link, though, okay. and I'll have you play it. So I wrote the bulldog's bark can go from a standard defined dog bark, pretty average sounding, to kind of a jowly, snarly bark, which comes right after. And this, this is a compilation video, which I know you love, Dylan. So this is kind of just their, and then it's jowly. Oh, okay. Yeah. Very ferocious barks. <laughs> I mean, I'd be intimidated. Yeah, that's its growl, but it's very like almost wet sounding, which I hate saying, but it's just very <laughs> drooly. Like, very, very moist, <laughs> moist bark. Yuck. But despite their bark being ferocious, they are not a ferocious animal. So... That's important to remember. Let's take a really quick break before we get into the history of this breed because it is long and arduous and I want you to be prepared. So we'll see you back in just a moment. When you wake up in the morning and get ready for the day, what's the one thing you're sure you won't miss? Well, according to the National Coffee Association, if you're like 64% of all Americans, you're probably going to have a cup of coffee. Hi, my name is Richard Eisloffel, and I love coffee. 
I've been drinking it consistently since I was about 15 years old and have worked off and on as a barista for over four years. Though I haven't worked in the coffee field for some time now, I've recently took an interest in knowing more about coffee. Its origins, its history, its chemical makeup, how we get different flavor profiles, and its current cultural status. To do this, I turned to my best friend of over 10 years, Wesley Van Hoosen. Hello there, I'm Wesley. He is probably the most well-read person I know. Books have always been a part of his life, and I know that, like myself, he has a thirst for knowledge. So I asked him one day, Wesley, do you know any good books on coffee? To which he responded, No, actually, none that I've ever found. And I have to say, that took me by surprise. You would think out there, somewhere, is a manuscript detailing everything you need to know about coffee, from how it's made to how it made its way into the fabric of our society. But no, there really isn't. So that's when Wesley and I decided to do it ourselves. Welcome to Coffee's On, where every episode we'll learn something new about the marvelous beverage that is coffee. In this popcorn-style series, we'll use every episode to do a deep dive into some facet of coffee consumption or production. And with every episode, we'll be trying a new brew of coffee, so we can continue to open our palates as well as our minds. In addition, we'll close each episode with a fun fact, myth, or legend about this magical drink. So tune in during your morning routine, daily commute, or afternoon pick-me-up, and we'll tell you all there is to know about the most consumed beverage in America. You can listen to Coffee's On on Spotify or wherever you stream podcasts. From the Arcadia Podcast Network. All right, so we're going to get into the long and sordid history of the bulldog now. All right, dramatic. <clears throat> so this dog comes to us via England. Of course. Or Great Britain. Uh, or Great Britain. That's where the bulldog no one knows. comes from. But we have to go back a little bit further, of course, because I like history. Yeah. So ancient times. <laughs> Bulldogs are most evidently descended from a type of Greek dog known as the Molossus. Of course. These dogs were large and useful both as guard dogs and battlefield dogs as well. Right. So... Uh, they were known in Greece, but then the Phoenicians actually got a hold of them and they brought this Molossian dog to the British Isles sometime around 800 BCE, where it is thought that they were traded and bartered for tin, which is very weird and random. Mm, it was the tin age, huh? I suppose. Uh, the Celts then were the first people who really recognized that the Molossian dog was a really good battle companion a great example is given or a specific example is given when emperor claudius of rome invaded the british isles in 43 ce so in claudius's account of his skirmishes with the celts he noted that the molossian dog was an impressive opponent the celts had trained them to bite and clamp their jaw onto the horses of the roman cavalry oh. so when they did this it in turn badly hurt the horse causing them to buck the soldier riding them off onto the ground and then the Celts had an attack advantage against them in hand-to-hand -hand combat. So it was basically used to disable their cavalry. Right. And Claudius had to bring it pretty hard. And he ended up winning. He uh, was, oh. yeah, he ended up being victorious against the Celts. But he was so impressed with the Molossian dog that he took some back to Rome with him, of course. And then in due time, these bulldog, early, early bulldog type dogs that came from the Molossian became popular attractions at the Colosseum in the form of fighting other animals. Uh, uh, some accounts tell them of fighting things like bulls and lions, which are the obvious ones. Yeah. But I guess sometimes they also fought elephants, which I think is crazy. Yeah. How many how many dogs would go against an elephant? Um, I don't know. And the way it made it sound is, you know, Gotta dogs be were 20. bedded on and, you know... Maybe. Ten against an elephant, that's still not fair. We don't know if this was a large elephant or a small elephant either. Either way. Uh, fun fact about Claudius, he was the emperor after Caligula and before Nero. Quite a lineup oh. there. <laughs> I bet he was pretty popular around those guys. I didn't see anything terrible relative. about him. Yeah. <laughs> kind of like, like this guy's disasters a of the other two. Um, 
so next up we are moving now to uh, medieval England. So this is between 400 and 1485. So those are the thousand years of the medieval period in England. Right. In the time from Rome to medieval England, the early bulldogs were still popular in the blood sport arena, but that then evolved to their namesake occupation, which is bull baiting. And I have a painting um, in the links there. Uh, bulldog types in the earliest stages of this breed's development were used to bait and disable bulls prior, uh, prior to the bull going to the butcher. They were known mostly as butcher dogs during the medieval times because they were mostly they were most commonly owned by butchers, obviously. Um, the bulldog would do two things to a bull. It would anger it and get its adrenaline going, and then it would clamp down their jaw on their nose to disable it and make it easier to kill. Now, the reason that you want a bull angered before it's killed is because during, well, I guess not now, but during the medieval era, it was thought that by angering an animal... And getting its like blood to pump, adrenaline to rush, all that stuff would tenderize the meat prior to it actually being slaughtered. And the science behind this isn't wrong. Adrenaline is actually a natural meat tenderizer, but it got to the point where um, seller like meat butchers could be fined if they didn't sell meat that had been oh, bull baited. Yeah. yeah, those in the Pitbull book, I think. Yeah, so it was considered less nutritious, cheap. And not suitable for human consumption in in medieval England. You know, there's not only ravaging plagues and, you know, no (laughs) cleanliness, but God forbid we don't eat the bull baited meat. Well, you know, it's probably one of the most important, you know, dog, like (laughs) laws for dog occupation. I thought that was just kind of so ridiculous. A lot of dogs to work. Pretty terrible work, but yeah. Um, But anyways, uh, that was what they did. And it was also during this time. They were called uh, the band dog, which is a reference to the bands or chains uh, that they were used that used to like keep them attached to a butcher's stand. So they would stand with the butcher. They were kind of like the butcher's pet, obviously. Right. But their main their main thing was to go to the slaughterhouse and disable these bulls and get them all angry. A 1586 description of the dog from William Harrison, not or not the former United States president. Uh, stated that because this is 1586 um, stated that these early bulldogs were a quote huge dog stubborn ugly eager (laughs) birthiness of the body terrible and fearful to behold end quote well so already getting some bad press you know well they're taking down bulls all the time that's true yeah i mean pretty scary and this is also in a time when you know people thought animals couldn't feel pain Uh that kind of stuff yeah so um, then from the 13th century onwards, bull baiting followed in a long tradition of blood sports by becoming the most popular pastime in England. So it went from being kind of these small gatherings of butchers in slaughterhouses to a profitable betting based sport. It yeah. got really popular. <laughs> right. And the queen showed up. Well, yeah, uh, I wrote royalty the uh, royalty of the time, like Henry VIII and his daughter Elizabeth I, were great uh-huh. fans of bull baiting and had royal gardens built to accommodate their most royal bull baiting games. Yeah, crazy. I mean, this was, you know, one thing I read that I thought was really interesting is that the reason that people loved such barbaric entertainment, like re- in real life at that time, was be- like executions and dog, you know, like blood sports, all that kind of stuff was because there was no, like, we have television for that now. We have shows that talk about, so we have true crime. We have the ways of getting those, like, urges out in a a healthier way. I guess. And it's like, back then, it was still kind of like, we didn't, like, we were a little devolved yet (laughs) on that. They had books. They could read some horror. (laughs) Yeah, but I don't think it was the same. Actually, a lot of black people couldn't read. Yeah, that's the thing. Most people couldn't read. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, all you have to your name is like a bag of potatoes, a loaf of bread, and a hut. Well, the queen could have cracked up in a book. <laughs> like, she, she had no excuse. I wonder if she read... I don't even know if the queen... I'm sure the queen had to undergo know, some actually, education. Well, she some was point, Henry VIII's daughter. Anyway. I, that the queen today, she can definitely <laughs> read, so... It was after three centuries of this, sometime around 1630, that the bulldog was completely distinguishable in look from different Molossian descended dogs, which they called mastiffs in England during the medieval times, which right. is not the same as a mastiff we would know today. It just meant 
large bulldog type in England. By 1630, we were beginning to see the transition into the bulldog that we would get in the 1800s. So this is a really slow going process for this breed. The constant use of these bulldogs and bull baiting was what ended up influencing how the dog would end up looking physically. So this comes from a book called uh, Bulldogs Dog 101 by Lisa Ricciotti, I think is how you pronounce it. It's like an Animal Planet book. Yeah, these are like the books you get when you buy a dog at like Barnes & Noble. Oh yeah, I love the Dogs 101 videos. <laughs> I watched those dog breeds when I started walking dogs. I'm going to quote here. This is kind of a long one from this book. The Bulldog's Physical Evolution. Wow. Much as the faint-hearted would like to gloss over the awful era of bull baiting, this is when the bulldog came into his own as a distinct breed. Butchers and competitive bull baiters who first used any large, powerful, mastiff-like dog for their purposes soon found that successful evasion of a bull's horns required a more nimble dog, built lower to the ground. Hanging on the bull's nose while being still able to breathe required a different shaped head, They continued to look for courage and strength in their dogs, but began refining physical criteria. And so, the distinctive bulldog shape evolved. All those quirky oddities that make the bulldog one of the purebreds that least resembles his Canis lupus wolf relative trace back to a bull-baiting advantage. His big head and undershot jaw? The better to clamp onto the bull's nose with a powerful vice-like grip, making it harder for the bull to throw him off. The short face and laid-back muzzle? The better for the bulldog to maintain that lip lock and still breathe with his jaws clamped tight. Wide, powerful shoulders gave him the strength to lunge and made him harder to knock over. Shifting the bulk of his weight to the front and a body that tapered to the rear made it possible for the bulldog to sway easily as the bull shook him, making it less likely that the bulldog's back would snap. His unusual roach-shaped top line, with a slight fall close to behind the shoulders, a rise over the loins and a sudden curve to the tail also help prevent a broken back. So it goes on and on and on about the legs and the the fur and everything, but that's kind of the basic gist of how their body came out of it. Mm. So through year, like <clears throat> centuries of bull baiting, They're built to be tossed around. Exactly. Yeah, and that's kind of how we get this lumbrous, front-heavy looking dog to built to like not be tossed around as much. <laughs> In 1835, bull baiting and all other blood sports were outlawed in England. Um, that was a pretty quick turnaround from you have to do it. What, the 13th the century to the 19th century? From my perspective, that's pretty quick. Well, it's not, didn't really work. It actually had been introduced to Parliament, I think, in like 1790 or eight to the early 1800s. It took like th- yeah. something like 30 or 40 years for oh, yeah, Parliament good. to actually agree to do good. it. But a legal fight still went on for a very long time after the ban was put in place in England. And unfortunately, the story doesn't improve for the bulldog as bull baiting and animal fighting eventually evolved into setting dogs against each other. Yeah. Because there became there came the Industrial Revolution and you didn't need a dog to anger a bull. You know, there were other more, you know, less humane ways of doing it back then. So they it basically turned from bulls and animals to just other bulldogs. And then unfortunately, dog fighting is still something we're grappling with, even in today's cultures. This is where we get into the modern era. So like 1900 and on. Fanciers of the bulldog who were not interested in blood sports began an attempt to reintroduce the breed as an amicable and loyal dog whose previous controversial history didn't truly reflect the actual nature of the dog. This kind of meant that people realized once you stopped making the dogs fight each other, they were actually really nice, docile, loyal pets. Just like we always find out with dogs that we make fight each other, you know, they turn out to be some of the best pets. Because animals don't inherently want to fight each other unless (laughs) they're in the wild and all that. Um, But anyway, so due to the rise in illegal dog fighting, bulldogs had then been crossed with terriers. This is kind of with that whole black and tan story that I was telling before. Uh, It was to increase their reactiveness and aggression in the fighting ring. Uh, So fanciers of the purebred bulldog began to train whatever remaining purebreds they could get and refine the dog's attitude to be towards like a more practical command training rather than fighting. They also made an adjustment to the breed's appearance and temperament. They were made a little bit smaller and a little more mellow by crossing them with the pug. 
So they kind of accentuated its features a little bit, but also made them a little smaller because dogs at this time in England were still big. Like there was not really, I think the Frenchie and the pugs were kind of the first sheet suit. Like the Asian dogs were the first ones that were little. Yeah. And so they were like, Hey, this is a nice dog, but maybe we should make it less than 70 pounds. (laughs) The bulldog of the mid to late 1800s was introduced to high society, mostly at the newly fashionable dog shows being held, um, mostly around Europe. Cruffs kind of came a little bit later. They were first shown in England in 1860. However, by the mid 1860s, a new en vogue bulldog type came around, which was the Spanish bulldog. Uh, I do have a photo of that for you. It's under the one that says Alant breed. Ah. Um, This is an artist representation. So basically, this kind of bulldog was a lot bigger and more related to the ancient Alant dog. And you can Google Alant. It's basically a mastiff. It looks just like a big, wide-eyed mastiff. Ah, yeah, totally. Um, So in England, they're like, we don't want this foreign Spanish bulldog overshadowing our new fangled English bulldog. English bulldog, but or, not the old English bulldog. Okay, but it's still just bulldog. It's just a bulldog, yeah. Um, so the first bulldog club of England was then formed in 1864. However, speaking of the old English bulldog, this <laughs> yeah, breed club... Yeah, I didn't club, know there was a difference. There is a difference. This breed club was like, oh yeah, we'll totally like bump up the bulldog. But then they're like, however, we like the old English bulldog more. And we're going to write our standard according to that dog so we can revive the breed. Bring back classic Coke. Yeah. So they started in 1864 and then they disbanded in 1867. But they did leave behind a standard for bulldogs at that time to, I guess, to kind of aspire to. But I'm going to give you all a quick word on the old English bulldog because it is a different breed. And it I had to do so much research to like distinguish them. And I finally kind of pared it down to this. The Old English Bulldog were, are, is a now extinct breed. They were a larger Mastiff descendant breed that were similar to other Bulldog types, but more agile and had a regular looking jaw and head, not flattened. After the Cruelty to Animals Act of 1835, the breed sharply declined in popularity. They were crossed with the Old English Terrier, which created the superior Bull and Terrier breed, uh-huh. which is still around today. So once the Bull and Terrier became popular, the fate of the Old English Bulldog was really sealed, and the breed went extinct sometime before 1900. It's not known exactly when, but um, there is a a painting that I have in the links here that um, is of three Old English Bulldogs that belong to kind of a person of nobility. And it's thought that these three were some of the last in the breed before the breed went extinct. Yeah, they're definitely more Mastiff-like. Yes, Maybe a little more like pit bulls, even. That's what I thought too. Um, there have been revi- there have been attempted revivals of the old English bulldog, none of which have really worked. But yeah, the old English bulldog is a different breed from the bulldog. Uh, just so everyone knows, so they add more of like a fighting dog personality. I think they were more they were like of a bullying. like. I I couldn't really. They did do the same things. They did bull baiting. They did all that. Right. I mean, yeah. But, but it was like the bulldog became the bulldog after they tried to breed it with the pug and calm it down yes they created a newer dog from the bulldog of the 1800s this is why this this is so complicated for the bulldog is because we don't get a bulldog that we would think of now until probably like the 1900s i would say all these different types are like forefathers four dogs to the modern breed (laughs) But yeah, so when they crossed it with the pug, that's when we really start to see the curve into the bulldogs of today. Well, I've always seen the implication that, like, the fact the bulldog has changed so much over the years is just a sign of, like, terrible breeding and mutation. Was it more intentional than that? It's that, too. I think originally it was intended for them to bait bulls, but once that was illegal and you couldn't really... I mean, obviously, when it was illegal, the need for a bulldog probably went away in the general public scope. I mean, a fraction of the people were still doing dog fights. Well, yeah, but do they look so different now for any reason? Like, I think it's from what you're saying. You're right about breeding. genetic defects. And, you know, people, some breeders breed them to be wrinklier and fatter and 
like late you know well, some you know, readers are, are irresponsible the about that, that are, but you know to the standard so at the same back in the 1800s this was a working dog this was not a pet right. you know and so it was obviously going to be a lot more muscular a lot more a, a lot less um silly looking when it runs oh exactly a lot less silly looking in general i think than what yeah. we have now but anyway in 1875, the Bulldog Club of England was reinstated and is now England's oldest single breed dog club. Wow. They further refined the original standard to more match this kind of evolving modern bulldog. So it doesn't match. It didn't. They're like the old English bulldog is no more. Obviously, we have to adapt. There was one bulldog in particular whose name was King Dick. He was one really? of the first popular show winners in the 1860s, and he is considered the official forerunner to today's bulldog he is the king dick yes and you can kind of see it and you can start to see where like the dog is headed the photo's a little creepy looking yeah that too it's you know photography from the 1860s horror movie king dick in 1891 cruffs held their first dog show and there were two champion bulldogs who i also have things of ori and dockleaf who became the source of a debate regarding the future appearance of the breed. This debate culminated in what became known as the Bulldog Walk-Off. So Ori had a body type that was more muscular and longer-legged. He almost kind of looks more like a pit bull Very in a way. strong underbite. Or, an, or a bully. Doc Leaf was huskier and looked a lot more like today's Bulldog. That looks like a cartoon. Like there's It is an drawing. artist re- rendition. Like, but- yeah. But they it were... doesn't even look like a drawing of a real dog. <laughs> it just I wanted to put it there because I thought it looked cute. <laughs> it is very cute. <laughs> like, it's hard to imagine what it's supposed to actually look like. <laughs> Click on the dock leaf link, y'all. Because the, the real photo looks, you know, somewhat like a modern bulldog. Yeah. But somewhat. But anyway, so these two dogs were challenged looking. to walk as long as they could until one of them became physically exhausted. And then whoever didn't would be declared the winner. I got to bet on the one with the long legs. That well, he won. Like Ori, King Ori, he won. He did right, win. Okay. But the breed fanciers thought Doc Leaf was cuter, so they used him as the right. sire. They were like, <laughs> that one looks better. So, so glad like they were already, you know, prioritizing cuteness. I guess. Yeah. One, one account described Doc Leaf as, quote, the future of this breed. <laughs> <laughs> but they don't have any photos of him? No, they do. Or that was just you just included. I that just included you... the cartoony artist rendition because I thought it was hilarious. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, Doc Leaf won out in the end, and he was used to further influence the breed. And then we moved to the United States. It is speculated that the early larger bulldogs were imported to the colonies to hunt bison sometime around 70, 1774. Really? But it's more likely, and there's more evidence, that they were first imported to the U.S. sometime during the 1870s. The first bulldog to be registered to the AKC was in 1880. And then by 1888, the first American bulldog champion, Robinson Crusoe, (laughs) was chosen by the AKC. And there is actually a painting of Robinson Crusoe. The Bulldog Club of America was formed a couple of years later in 1890, and their standard was adopted in 1896. And the Bulldog got really popular very fast. It just kind of like the pit bull. I think bully bulldogs, bully dogs in America were the symbol of America at that time. The legs look so strange. I know. I know. It's It looks very wide set, too. Yeah. Um, and yeah, Robinson Crusoe. Looks like it would like crawl around like a bug almost. A little bit, like yeah. Wide legged. Like, I feel like they'd hobble a little bit more than walk. But either way, uh, they were the number five dog in 1915, number five registered breed in America. So they got popular very fast. Um, the breed would go up and down in popularity throughout the 20th century before ultimately bottoming out in the 1970s. Since that decade, the bulldog remained a less popular breed, especially because of the rise of misperception and racism around bulldog types especially pit bulls and bulldogs. Those two breeds really suffered in numbers after the 70s because tons of media depicted them as, as you know, vicious killers, basically. Oh, yeah, and no bulldogs were as, as included. Yeah, basically bulldogs kind of got the short end of the stick because they 
they were where pit bulls descended from in a way. Well, yeah. They were just kind of, it was almost like, uh, what's guilt by association. They're probably a much more docile breed at that point. I would think so. Yeah. There were tons of show winners through the seventies and eighties though, too. Were any bull, were bulldogs like still being used for dog fighting at all? Cause I thought, I don't know. I didn't see that. I think it had switched to pit bulls, but I think that, you know, like I said with, you know, there was racism about any black person that owned any type of bull ty- bulldog type dog. There's just a there's mm-hmm. just a racism there. And I think that's what really ended up hurting this breed socially. But what's strange is that on the AKC circuit, this breed was snagging awards in those decades. Like oh. there was two sides of the coin. There was the misperceived like misperceived racism of the bulldog. And then there was the high end breed quality quality the bulldog uh after 2008 started this like huge dramatic resurgence and popularity in the united states and now as of 2020 they have returned to their 1915 peak ranking as the number five registered dog breed in america which i think is amazing because that just means that this dog i really think has had its its day its redemption french bulldog and they look number three too yeah frenchies i think extremely assisted because i think some people really like the larger bulldog than the little frenchie Mm -hmm. um plus their personalities i think are totally different in some ways they almost resemble a frenchie more than a pit bull yeah it's it's true i because if you even right in between yeah even if you google bulldog most of your photos are going to be of either English Bulldogs, which are a different breed, not the old English Bulldog. There is another breed called the English Bulldog that's well, different. I'm really confused. Okay, so oh, it's the all old confusing. English Bulldog is different from the English Bulldog, which yes. is still around. The English Bulldog is still around. And then different from the Bulldog. It's Just different from our about. Bulldog. It's a little bit taller and a little bit less like funny looking. It's less cartoonish, basically. But England does not call them American Bulldogs. They call ours American Bulldogs. They call them crisps. (laughs) (laughs) They do. (laughs) All right. Well, that is the full history, y'all, of the Bulldog up to the United States and up to 2020. I know that was a long one. I know it was not a pleasant one. It wasn't (laughs) like the Little River Duck Dog last week. But that's our history for the Bulldog. What'd you think? Very interesting. I thought it was just never ending. (laughs) But in in an interesting way of like, this dog has had to really deal with it as far as being forced to fight bulls and, you know, being, you know, forced to fight other dogs eventually too. And then to find out that this dog is actually one of the sweetest, most caring dogs, as we'll get to in a lot of the, uh, like... Everything I saw on Reddit about actually owning a bulldog is like they can read our minds. They're so sweet. They're they're stubborn, but they really care about you. Oh, we'll get to that. Yeah. But no, it's just like it's so unfortunate that for literally like thousands of years, this type of dog was relegated to such violence. And well, luckily, it's not like that now for hopefully for most dogs. I mean, there always is violence, but. I don't know. I just thought it was such a such a long tasking history for a dog. Yeah, but that happens. yeah, really cool to yeah see the build up the bulldog side of it because I'd read a lot of the pit bulls history. Yes, I've gone over that. And actually, that book I cited that book. They do talk about oh, bulldogs, yeah. so I talked a, that was kind of worked in there too. Yeah, they but... go deep in like the fighting rings. Yeah. Well, you know, of course, England. this this breed is also British, so there is never-ending records on it. So, you know, <laughs> it's always the British. <laughs> I am the world's greatest dogfighter. So we scribe This is my memoir. <laughs> all right, y'all. We're going to take another quick break, and you'll hear a message from one of our other shows. Ooh, and we're going to come back about the ownership of this dog. Hi there. I'm Wesley Van Hoosen, and I make good food. I also have bad friends, but bad in a good way. On Good Food for Bad Friends, I'll have a different guest on each episode to learn all about their history with food. We'll talk about anything from the foods of their childhood to the deep-rooted culinary traditions that they've incorporated into their everyday lives. Along with each episode, one or two recipes will be released to you through our website, 
These recipes are researched, adapted, and tested by me, and they're inspired by the conversations I have with each guest. I hope you subscribe and tune in as I talk with all the different people in my life about their experiences with food. Available everywhere from the Arcadia Podcast Network. Ooh, what a great show. (laughs) Check that out right after this podcast. Oh my God. (laughs) You listened to that show. (laughs) Yeah, I gotta, gotta go listen to it again. It's so good. Okay, we're moving on now to the ownership part of the Bulldog. I'm hoping we can get more guests on the show in future. It's just tough to get yeah. people to respond to my well, emails. I'd much, I'd really prefer to have people in person. That too. <laughs> that too. Better. They can bring dogs. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's an excuse to get people to bring dogs and talk about dogs. Okay, so the AKC actually wrote a full-on article about the proper training regimen for your bulldog, mm-hmm. which is super helpful because they I don't think they do this with every breed. Um, but here it goes. So the first thing you want to do is socialize them, which should start between 4 and 12 months. So that's the prime socialization period for this breed, and it's the most opportune time for them to learn how to best behave around both other people and other dogs. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we've talked about this dog can be feared sometimes because of how it's represented in media and history. But it's important to remember that keeping your socialization training fun and playful encourages them to share and explore space if they're really nervous about it. So if they seem apprehensive, just like get more toys involved, you know, maybe get them a little more excited about something on a one on one level. Hmm. There's no reason to give up on the dog, basically. Next thing's grooming, which is you know, we all know is my favorite section. <laughs> so the most important thing to remember is that you have to clean their facial wrinkles every single day. Right. No excuses. So as puppies, you have to train them to remain calm and get used to you doing this. And so yeah. it starts with brushing. They always recommend to start with a brushing, like soft, a soft brush for this dog because their fur is not very tough to get through. Because it's so short, but to start there, and as they get more and more comfortable with you kind of touching them and grooming them, then you'll want to move on to doing the wrinkles. It's important to use a soft tissue or cloth to wipe out just the moisture, because that's basically what you're trying to get rid of is excessive moisture, which can cause a yeast infection, essentially. Um, or other dermatitis, things like that. If it's necessary for your dog, a vet may recommend over-the-counter or prescription products to help with different skin conditions that your bulldog may develop in their wrinkles. But ideally, just by cleaning them every day, that won't happen. And then brushing should be done daily as well with a soft brush. Bathing once a month is ideal, and you must brush their teeth every other day too. Bulldogs, because of their underbite, can uh, have a lot more plaque buildup than some mm-hmm. other breeds. And they can't, like, clean their mouths as efficiently as other dogs. <laughs> <laughs> what, with the green sticks? Um, it recommended using green sticks to actually, you can get to, I mean, obviously, you can just brush their teeth, you know. Well, yeah. well, how do other dogs clean their teeth? What do you mean? Um, well, I, there's some breeds where their teeth aren't exposed constantly, right. is what I mean. Because some bulldogs have an underbite where their bottom teeth are out in the elements all the time, and you can build up dirt and oh, stuff in there, and Gross. they get into something they yes, shouldn't, possibly, like we've talked in other episodes, like things on the floor, you know. You just want to make sure their mouth is clean a lot because they can yeah. sometimes have an exposing underbite. Ideally, though, if your bulldog matches the standard, that doesn't happen. The next step is chewing. Bulldogs are notorious chewers. This is another thing, too. They're obsessively chew. It's they better chew than not everything. chewing. Yeah, um, but basically it just recommended tons and tons and tons of toys. Ah. If they start chewing on something they shouldn't, it advises to take a toy and distract them with it and then like somehow switch out whatever's in their mouth with their toy or get them to drop. Right. Um, that comes next with basic command training. Uh, it's the same sit, stay, lie down. Don't teach them to roll over. I'm afraid they won't roll back over. Uh, I don't know. if Maybe they do. <laughs> I would just fear that for myself. <laughs> That's just a personal feeling. Um, the other things it says is really important for, to teach them is to uh, drop it. And to, so like if they have something in their mouth, drop it. They'll right. just let it out. Like, are they known to chew up shoes? Household shoes. Items? Oh, man. Chew up anything. I think about every other Reddit post 
on the bulldog subreddit was like look at all these things my bulldog chewed <laughs> up and it's like look at this couch look at this shoe look at this whatever you it's know a room full of unrecognized fluff unrecognizable like bite marks and everything no i mean definitely keep you're gonna need a toy budget for this dog breed as with any breed i mean i want to shower when we have a dog i want to shower them with toys oh yeah gotta get the like tough that ones. giant pickle my brother gave moose <laughs> moose destroyed that by the way that's not a, of course he destroys everything in the day. it was as big as he is though so moose for those of you new listeners if you're any of you are new moose is my mother's snorky so he's little back to bulldogs next you'll want to potty train them Actually, it was very specific about how to potty train a dog in spe- in particular. It says as young puppies, any dog, not just bulldogs. It said as young puppies to advise taking your dog out as often as possible to the dedicated area where they can relieve themselves up to once every hour. So it's thought that by doing this, you're establishing with them, like, this is where you go. Like, right. if you need to go here, tell me. Like, I'll bring you here. And it, and it also, they'll catch on bulldogs even with being stubborn because dogs do not like to defecate where they eat or sleep that's like a part of their psyche so some owners i've seen have even up the ante especially on tiktok they'll teach their bulldogs how to use those sound buttons that they make now like oh, bathroom yeah. eat like I've seen border come. collies that oh man i've seen of them i've seen some bulldogs that are like bathroom and i'm like oh that's so genius like i want to do that with our dogs although that could get really bad <laughs> yeah. they just start pressing treat 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 <laughs> when they treat, learn treat, what treat, that treat, one treat, does treat, 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 treat. <laughs> come a dj our bulldog's name is Skrillex. Oh, that's a great bulldog name. No offense to Skrillex. DJ Low Gravity. <laughs> low Do you have any anti-gravity machines? Anyway, okay. As far as... And the last thing it says to train them on is exercise. So bulldogs should be walked daily like all other breeds, receiving up to 60 minutes of exercise per day. Like pugs and Frenchies, though, bulldogs cannot be left out in or exercised in hot temperatures for any really period of time. Right. Um, It can cause serious health problems and it can even kill them. With that in mind, it is best to own these dogs in cooler places or at least well air conditioned homes. (laughs) Although I I, I did write these days, there's lots of great options for teaching dogs how to exercise in the home. One of the YouTubers I follow with her pit bulls, Rachel Ballinger, she has little doggy treadmills in her house and they're mechanical. They're not electronic. Oh, right. And you just train your dog how to use them. And eventually they'll just be like, hey, I want to get my energy out. I'm just going to go on the treadmill. Like if dogs are very perceptive at that kind of thing. And I think it's a good option for an, a bulldog owner if you live in a hotter climate. Well, I guess if a hamster can use a wheel, I'm sure a dog can figure that yeah. out. I'm sure dogs will want to go outside still. But <laughs> Yes, it's true. <laughs> I mean, every dog want to go outside. But remember, bulldogs do not fare well in hot weather at all. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that's that's the AKC's training advice for the bulldog, which is very well put together. I'll link the article in the description below if any of you want to take a look at it. The other thing is cost. This is probably one of the most insane costing breeds of all time. Really? They start at fourteen hundred on average for a purebred that comes from a decent breeder. The median low that is fourteen hundred. Oh, just wait. So fourteen hundred is like if you're gonna get a bulldog, I mean, start pricey. there. However, the price of the dog depends heavily on the breeder, dog's line, the dog line, uh, the health, and overall provisions a breeder provides for their dogs. It's important to remember that bulldogs are a prime example of a breed where price heavily influences the quality of the dog Ah. you're buying some breeders have their bulldogs priced at well over ten thousand dollars oh wow i've seen up to thirty thousand dollars for champion lines of bulldogs it's a big money breed if the puppy is inexpensive and comes from a non-registered breeder you may be sacrificing quality and end up spending lots of money on future veterinary care for your bulldog And unfortunately, that is sort of the precarious place that that breed is in right now. Cheaper, more available family dogs tend to have skyrocketed vet bills. The hyper expensive champion lines don't. But no one in real in reality can afford them. Yeah. So it's it's tough. It's kind of a I could not find an even line for the pricing of this breed. It just varied so heavily. 
So keep that in mind. Next, we're going to have a new segment here on We're Getting a Dog, where it's Wesley lists tons of medical conditions this breed goes through while light music plays underneath. (laughs) Oh, sounds like a fun section. Yeah. I wrote, common diseases of the bulldog. Yikes. (laughs) (laughs) All right, are we ready? Cue the music in three, two, one. Cancer, eye irritations, blindness, ear infections, allergies such as atopic dermatitis, skin disorders such as acne, excessive itching and irritation, licking spots raw, and skin fold dermatitis. They also can suffer from aortic stenosis, which are bloodlines leaving the main aorta that are too narrow and thus constricted. They can cause mild symptoms like a heart murmur to more severe symptoms or cause death. They can also suffer from congestive heart failure, respiratory disorders such as difficulty breathing, an elongated palate, or constricted nostrils. They can have bone and joint disorders like arthritis or vertebrae displacement, commonly called a slipped disc. They can commonly suffer from renal system disorders like bladder stones or chronic renal disease, which is sort of like the failure of your kidneys. They can suffer from endocrine system disorders like diabetes, pancreatitis, and Cushing's disease, which is an overproduction of the corticosteroids from the adrenal gland. They can suffer from digestive system disorders like dental diseases from plaque buildup, bloat, and anal sac disease. Those are all of the common disorders that plague the bulldog. That sounds pretty bad. It's terrible. I could not believe how long that was when I was looking. I looked through two different books, some online sites, the AKC, the Bulldogs Club. I was just flabbergasted by that. Yeah, I'm really used to seeing, you know, just some hip problems and joint problems. And it's it's bad. I mean, this really, I think, is the biggest deterrent for me of ever wanting a bulldog is I'm so afraid of buying this breed and then paying thousands and thousands of dollars in veterinary bills after and like does that even guarantee that the dog isn't suffering i mean at Mm -hmm. a point with that much disorder there i feel like this dog is always in pain in some way yeah i mean what's the lifespan that's next uh 10 to 12 years Oh. Hmm. Uh, there is a Facebook group called the oldest bulldogs around the world where people post pictures of their elderly bulldogs. I scrolled uh. so much through that and I found two that lived to be 15 and I think those were the oldest, but I didn't okay. scroll past, I think like 2015. So I went back a while or whenever the group started, I think, but it's possible I missed one. Uh, there is no official oldest bulldog on record by the AKC that I could find. There's old English bulldogs that lived a long time or just English bulldogs. But those are not bulldogs. Right. They don't have the longest of lifespans. Some yeah. 10 to 12 years is me being generous. That's like what the optimism outlook is. Some websites, the more realistic one was eight to 10 or just a flat 10. Uh-huh. But after looking through that group on Facebook, I'm like, no, there's like, thousands of people whose bulldogs live past 10 years old there's no way that can be that can't account for anything so it's not you know they're no chihuahua that's for sure (laughs) but you know i just i don't know i would really have to make sure if i ever got a bulldog that whoever i'm getting it from is hyper careful about the health of their puppies that's my only concern get the priciest one you can find thirty thousand dollars that can't be right champion line bulldog that's crazy. Uh, the next thing is intelligence. They rank at number 77 on Stanley Corrin's list. Okay. So one of the last breeds to be ranked. Um, oh, really? Oh, yeah. I thought that was middle of the pack. No, it's they're placed in like the last category of like, they're in the bottom percentile. Was that of like 100? Yeah. That list is outdated. <laughs> They've added lots of breeds. Right, yeah. Uh, but either way, the, the most given reason for their low intelligence, quote, low intelligence is the notably stubborn nature of the bulldog. If they don't care about it, they will not even think about it. Like, that's just how they are. It's very much agreed that bulldogs have, instead of high obedience abilities, they have high adaptive and perceptive abilities. So it means that they're more responsive to things that are either detected through emotional and mental perception rather than physical perception or 
like physical activity. So this is where that thing I said about how bulldogs can read people's minds. Many owners, like firsthand accounts of bulldog owners, describe that while their bulldogs don't literally understand the words the person is saying, they completely understand whatever intention you're giving them. So if you're talking about how in pain you are, they know you're in pain. Or a lot of people talked about kids that are really sick. The bulldogs are immediately kind of at their side because they just want to keep an eye on them. Like, you know, they just know when to be there for their people. And I think that that is so much more valuable than teaching a dog tricks. I see. So that makes them real good therapy dogs. Yes. Yeah. They've become very popular, a very popular choice as a certified trained therapy dog. I see. Cool. So yeah, I really, I like that trait a lot about them. It's it's nice to yeah. know that they're very lovey-dovey with their people when they want to be. Yeah. When they want to be. <laughs> as long as their people don't, you know, aren't... Harming them. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm just thinking, you know, as long as they're not reading their people's minds, their people are thinking, go kill that bull. Yeah, no. They'll probably be pretty calm. The last thing about this breed is the famous ones. So there's three that I could find that were actually bulldogs, not any other offshoot of the breed or a different bulldog type so the first one is tillman who was a skateboarding bulldog who who um he i think the that dog still holds the guinness world record for the fastest 100 meters on a skateboard of anyone he beat tony hawk no of, uh, on a, of a dog, oh, of a dog. <laughs> he passed away not that long ago at the age uh, of 10 that's amazing though there's another skateboarding one called tyson and I don't think he holds any world records, but he's popular, too, on social media. So bulldogs are the skateboarding breed. They're premier, the premier skateboarding breed. Would not have guessed. And the last one is Spike from Tom and Jerry. So the cartoon. Oh, yeah. The dog that always helps Jerry is a bulldog. Yeah. The, the bulldog everyone steals their you know, college bulldog mascot. Yeah. <laughs> the bulldog who Tom always steals the steak from. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, that's uh, that's the bulldog for you. Wow, very interesting past. Very long, interesting, kind of violent past. Yeah. Long, strange trip it's been for the bulldog to the present. I'm glad, though, that the breed is still around and that they've survived all that. You know, it, yeah. it's very possible they could have had the same fate as the old English bulldog and just completely gone away. Yeah, totally. But someone, luckily, someone saw value in them as a pet and... Yeah, and yeah, I guess everyone's, I mean, a lot of people still seeing the value. Yeah, I mean, I definitely don't remember a time where bulldogs weren't a popular dog breed. I mean, I was 14 or 15 in 2008, but, you know, bulldogs have always been, I think in the age of social media, there's a massive bulldog presence. Yeah, I guess just, I didn't even realize they'd come back so hard. I didn't either. I mean, I knew they, they were a top 10 breed, but to see them come back at number five, that's pretty incredible, especially considering, you know, their, that was the, their original peak position in 1915 when there were probably only 50 dog breeds. Right. And now there's almost 200. Yeah. So it's, yeah, no, it's really crazy. But I really hope that um, breeders are taking an effort to kind of mend the health issues of this breed i know that takes yeah. a long and time and i hope owners too you know get more selective i think so too there is i think there is kind of a, an awareness that if you get a bulldog from a non-reputable source you run a high high risk of having to spend a lot of money i mean that beca became apparent quickly during the 20th century as more and more problems started popping up yeah i've been trying to with think the breed if there's a way to make an outro about you know ma making sure you're getting you know, you're getting your dog from a reputable place, reputable breeder. I <laughs> think sure it's, you're not supporting bad breeding, like for the outro of our show. I mean, but uh, I don't know how <laughs> I would say that in a quick manner. We could always write up another blurb. Well, yeah, it's just complicated. It'd be like, remember, if uh, you're getting a dog and you're buying it from a breeder, make sure they're make sure they're what akc specifically well i think it's important just Proof. to tell our listeners and i'm know? sure you know it's complicated i all. think it's important you know we maybe don't have to make an announcement every show but yeah i was just thinking you know, i think stop it's stealing bob barkers <laughs> yeah i think it's important for listeners to know that you know a dog really kind of is only as is only as good as its breeder in some cases in a lot of cases mm -hmm. and you know that's good maybe i'll use that 
You know, but also remember, if you're looking to buy a puppy of a specific breed, there are tons of resources out there for the consumer that are just so helpful. I mean, going to do your, I mean, obviously do your research before you buy a dog, but on the breed club websites, there's links to breeders who are recognized by the breed club or by the AKC. So you know that they're coming from possibly like some kind of reputability. And also to, you know, just keep in mind, just because a dog might be a long ways away, don't be afraid to buy it if it's long distance. You know, right. don't just look at your local breeders. And it, yes, it is an extra expense. But honestly, if you're going to pay $5,000 for a dog, why not fly them to you? You know, if you're going to go top notch, go top notch. But if you can't go top notch, do your research, yeah. like do a lot of research. Also, make sure the breed is for you. That's important to note. But, you know, we're, we're very much here at me and Dylan, <laughs> me and Dylan, here me here, and Dylan productions here at me and Dylan productions of podcasts. We are very much the people who are going to say, always go to a shelter first and see if there are dogs that are already alive, already born that need a home. But if you don't want to do that, or if you've done that and you haven't found anything that suits what you want, just research like crazy about breeders and health and what you're getting yourself into. Yeah. That's the long version of your blurb. <laughs> but otherwise, I think Let's this just breed... cut that to the end of every show. <laughs> Literally, we could. T- this breed's great. Literally, do all your research. It just cuts <laughs> mid sentence. No, I I think that's important to note. It's definitely needs to be said. Yeah. But yeah, especially for bulldogs. Yes, hopefully in the future they won't have as many health problems. We can all hope and pray. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like some you know lions don't have the same health that's problems. That's a thing. So I think some. some I de- I'm sure there are breeders out there that are taking an effort to eradicate all the health problems. I wonder if it has to do with, I don't know, the way, the, the standard of the breed. It's I think it's difficult. I'm sure that does, because standards are appearance-based, not physical-based. Maybe, maybe it's just the, the genetic pool. That too. I mean, line breeding, I'm sure the dog was predisposed to lots of these things a long time ago. There's got to be so many yeah. bulldogs now. But either way, that's the bulldog for you, folks. I hope you enjoyed this Weird. episode. Yeah. <laughs> I did. Well, good. I'm glad you did. <laughs> Um, Do you have anything you want to talk up before we close up the show? Uh, No, I think so. Cool. I am not listening to anything new either, so. Either, just omnibus. I'm reading, I'm reading again, so that's good. I've I've picked back up on my reading kick. I haven't read a book in two months, which sounds so weird. Nice. Any books to recommend? Um, that Pitbull book, still. I used it for this episode. It's very good. The Pitbull by Bronwyn Dickey. Shout out. <laughs> follows me on Instagram. But wow. like, you know, great book. Great book. Definitely used it for this episode. Read it if you can. Thanks, but, Bronwyn. Thanks, Bronwyn. But anyway, um, thank you all for listening. Uh, I hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope you take a listen to the other shows we have. We have more shows. Coffee show is we're recording it now. So it's in wow. pre-production. It's in production now, which is good. And it'll come out hopefully in the next month or two so that should be fun it's a lot of fun but anyway folks thank you very much for listening to we're getting a dog we always appreciate it and dylan why don't you take us out remember help control the pet population have your pets spayed or neutered wesley van Husen and dylan naylor are not pet professionals any advice regarding pet ownership and the responsibilities thereof taken from this program should be checked with your veterinarian All episodes are researched thoroughly, fact-checked, and additionally researched during post-production. Annotated bibliographies of every episode can be found at we'regettingadog.com slash bibliographies. This podcast is hosted by Dylan Naylor and Wesley Van Husen. If you'd like to reach out or submit a photo of your dog to be featured on our social media, please contact us at wgad at arcadiapodcastnetwork.com or on our Instagram at We're Getting a Dog. Thank you for listening to We're Getting a Dog from the Arcadia Podcast Network. If you'd like to support our podcast, please go to patreon.com slash we're getting a dog. We have different tiers with different benefits set up, and we hope that you will support us so that we can grow and continue to make quality content.